people that are all that are all together. There's something that's really precious about that and speaks of his of his kingdom. So um, thanks um, again for leading us in worship, Anna. It's really awesome. All right, Lord Jesus, we're we're here today to um, to fix our attention on you too, and to um, and to draw near to you. So, and I pray, Father, that um, that in, in this time, as we as we reflect on on the words in your scriptures, uh, that you'd you'd speak to us, you'd speak to our hearts, and uh, and Holy Spirit, just uh, please please be free. Uh, to move as you as you want, uh, and help us to have uh, open hearts and open ears to the things you want to say to us and the things you want to illuminate uh, in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah. So, level one, level one. Woke up on Tuesday, wasn't it? Tuesday, we're in level one, and freedom to do whatever we want. Really awesome, mate. Eh? Uh, freedom to do. Pretty much uh, the things that we did before lockdown, um, but at the same time we know that. Uh, okay, I've got a disclaimer. I'm not an economist, but uh, but I know from what I've been told that the economy has taken a, a, like a massive hit, a real massive hit. Um, people have lost jobs. Like when we talk about economy, it's not it's not simply money, but it, we're talking about people. People have lost people have lost jobs. People have lost uh, incomes. Um, Businesses have gone under, and it's it's, uh, it's just so sobering, um, yeah, sobering uh, seeing it. And so at the same time, we've got the kind of like the, the freedom of level one, and almost like the celebration where we can go, yeah, like we've done an awesome job with um, almost uh, getting to the point of uh, eliminating the virus in, in New Zealand. Um, but at the same time, we know that it's um, it's going to be a struggle. And so we're in this re- recovery phase, eh? Yeah. Recovery, and the and the government. Um, is doing what they doing what they can to stimulate the economy uh, and to keep businesses going, to keep people in jobs, um, to find employment for those people who are out of work, uh, for people with money. Um, you know, we're being encouraged to go and spend money, to go to go to go into town, because uh, town is quiet. Who's actually been into Wellington much? It's so quiet. I've, I've been driving in at peak time, and you know we live out in Korokoro, and um, peak time from here to there, 15 minutes. Off peak, 15 minutes. Like there's no difference really. It's, it's so quiet. Anyway, we've been encouraged to go go spend out, spend money if you've got money. Uh, buy local, yeah. support cafes, support businesses. Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's an awesome idea. Um, and like I said, like I'm not an economist, but it seems that one of the main ways that uh, we're working, we're working, the government's working to revive New Zealand's economy is to uh, is to spend money, is to invest money. Like that's sort of like the stimulus. So rather than holding on to money, which is I think, you know, there's a big part of me which would just want to just want to like try to hold on to money. Um, the way to revive our economy is to spend money. It's crazy. The economy, the economy needs to be revived. Revived, exactly. And so we use this word, we use this word revived in churches too. This is my, this is my link. In churches, we have this word revival, uh, and it's loaded with so many, so many connections, associations, things that uh, it brings to mind for people. Like, if you've been in church for a while, like I have, you might associate this word revival with, with uh, different things going on. 
like uh, people encountering God and in, in, um, in, in powerful ways, often like physical ways. Hey, uh, people being people being healed, people coming to faith in Jesus. Um, sometimes uh, we've we've witnessed some pretty strange stuff ha- happening, um, and so all this kind of gets associated with the word revival. And, and this morning I want to um, have another, have a couple of more associations. I want to connect the word revival with three other words. Uh, revelation, repentance, and renewal. Which all start with RE. If you've been tracking, you know that I'm a little bit addicted to re-words at the moment. And so, to recap. <laughs> thanks for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> 120 people in a room, upstairs room. Maybe we've got 120 people today. We're not counting anymore. We don't have to. 120 people. Miranda might be. Yeah. How many? Oh, 90 ish. Yeah. We need 30 more before anything interesting is going to happen. 120, 120 people were in an upstairs room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And all of a sudden, there's a massive southerly, like this rushing, sound of rushing wind, and what, what looks like tongues of fire separating and landing on, uh, resting, on the, resting on those people, on their heads. And it, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was filling them. It's a scene of God breathing on, on the... On the 120, like what Natalia was talking about before, about God breathing. <clears throat> God breathed on them, and the and the church, the church was born. It came to life. So these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, rushed out onto the streets, and uh, and they were able to speak in different languages, and they're telling everybody that they come across uh, all the amazing things that God has done. And the, and some of the people in the city were amazed. Uh, I think I read. Somewhere that Jerusalem might have been about a million people. No, that can't be right. I, yeah, sorry, I went in going down that track. I didn't have time to fact check. Um, <laughs> some of the people in the city, they were amazed, and, and, but others were scathing, and they said, you, you're drunks. You're drunk. And then the Apostle Peter stands up, and he tells everybody what's going on. Let's see if my clicker works. All right. Some of you might, might not be able to read that, but... Um, I'm reading from from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. So Peter, he stands up and he says, People of Judea, all of you you who are staying here in Jerusalem, there's something you have to know. Listen to what I'm saying. These people aren't drunk as you imagine. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And in those days, people didn't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. No! This is what the prophet Joel was talking about when he said, In the last days, declares God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Yes, even on slaves, men and women alike, will I pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will give signs in the heavens above. This is probably the next slide. Can you just give me the heads up when I, when I, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I can't see out that direction. I'll give signs in the heavens above and, and portents on earth below, beneath. Uh, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will turn, to, turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes. 
the great and glorious day, and then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter, he's, he's explaining to all these, explaining to everybody that this, all this stuff that they're hearing and seeing, so the noise that they're hearing and seeing and hearing 120 people speaking in different languages. Um, it might all be pretty strange, like actually it's pretty, it's pretty freaky stuff. It's a bit unusual, but he's saying, don't worry, they're not drunk. We're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. He's saying, I know it's a bit weird, but here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. And he points to this prophecy uh, from a fellow named Joel, who uh, is an Old Testament, Old Testament prophet. And all of the Jews would have been familiar with Joel, or at least most of them. They would have been familiar with Joel. And today, we don't, really, we don't really know too much about Joel. We're less familiar with him. And if you went down on the streets, like imagine some crazy stuff happens here today. And, and, uh, and, and people outside are going, um, you know, what's this big noise all about? What, why are you, uh, we think you're drunk. Why are you speaking different languages? All that kind of stuff. We went on the street and go, no, nah, this is what Prophet Joel talked about. They would have no clue at all, right? No clue at all. Um, but the Jews in Jerusalem, they, they understood uh, what uh, Peter was talking about. This, this prophecy from Joel is a revelation of, of the grand plan of God in the world. And it's, and it's old. Like even okay, Pentecost was 2,000 years ago. The, the prophet Joel was like 600 years before that. Like it's old, 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 ancient, ancient history. And it, the, the prophecy of Joel spoke about this day of the Lord, like this moment of time where God would bring, bring justice, like judging, uh, judging evil, judging the nations and restoring Israel. Israel, if, if you remember, we've talked about this a wee bit, but Israel was intended to be a light to the nations, a, a blessing to the nations. Um, and so this prophet, the, the prophet Joel talked about the restoration of, of Israel. He, he called the people of Israel to repent, to turn back to God, to be ready for the day of the Lord. And, and it's a major theme in this book, in the book of Joel. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So Peter then, he stands up, <clears throat> back to Peter, and he explains to the Jews in Jerusalem what's going on, and he points to he points to Joel. He's going, there's something you've got to know. And this would have brought, brought to mind everything that Joel had said for them. And in particular, it would have brought to mind the day of the Lord. Uh, and Peter's saying this grand plan of God has come to pass. The sound of the rushing wind, uh, the people speaking in different languages that you think are, that you think are drunk. They've been drinking um, the new sweet wine, is how it's translated. It's evidence of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that Joel had talked about. It's a sign that the day of the Lord is near, like the great and glorious day. So the people listening, they might have gone, oh yeah, maybe this, maybe this is what, what we're seeing is that. Maybe this is what uh, Joel has, has, was talking about, something that we've been hoping for for a long time. And so, so, then, um, so then Peter's got them, right? And he, and, he, and he continues on and he goes... You people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man marked out for you by God through, through the mighty works, signs, and portents which God performed through him right here among you. As you all know, he was handed over in accordance with God's determined purpose and foreknowledge. 
and he used people outside the law to nail him up and kill him. Notice that language. You, you use people outside the law to nail him up and kill him. But God raised him from the dead. Death had its painful grip on him, but God released him from it because it wasn't possible for him to be mastered by it. It's... Okay, I'm not an economist, and I'm also not an expert in boxing, but this, I think, is like a sucker punch. It's like where you kind of like, you trick them, eh? Like, you, you lure them in. It's not tricking them. He's luring them in. You go, this is, what's going on is, is what the prophet Joel's talked about. And then, by the way, you killed this man from God. One moment he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the day of the Lord. Next moment he's saying, you murdered him. You murdered this man. And the people listening, like, they, they, were, uh, they would have been people from Jerusalem. They were also people from uh, other nations, uh, Jews that had traveled to Jerusalem for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, and they weren't necessarily directly involved with, with, with killing Jesus, with murdering Jesus. And yet Peter says that they were complicit. They were somehow responsible. And the other thing to remember is this is only 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Like it's... You know, it, it would have been fresh in their memories. And yet Peter says it's all part of, it's all part of God's plan. You murdered Jesus, but God raised him up from, from the dead. And Peter, he just keeps his pressure on. And he says later in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Like, that's tough, eh? That's tough. He's telling them, look, folks, God is on the move. The day of the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit's being poured out, just like Joel prophesied. Um, this day of the Lord, the great and awesome day of judgment and restoration is upon us. And by the way, you murder Jesus, this man from God. Like, like he's saying, you're on the wrong side of history. And when they heard this, the people in the crowd were cut to the heart. It says, cut to the heart. Like this, for them, like this is a moment of like profound revelation. Profound revelation. Um, you might remember uh, Paul's story. Paul, also known as Saul. Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. He was a Pharisee. So he was, he was one of the Jews that was super careful to follow uh, everything that they thought the Lord required of them. They had to follow God's law. The Pharisees believed that if everybody in the nation of Israel were obedient to what the Lord, what God required, everybody followed the Lord, then the kingdom of God would come. You know, they were actually this was this was sort of their mandate. So they thought that if everybody followed the requirements of God, that the, that the Lord, that the day of the Lord that Joel prophesied would arrive. Uh, Israel would be restored. The kingdom of God would arrive. So the Pharisees worked really, really hard uh, to make sure everybody else uh, did, did what was required. And, and Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. Quite like he said, you're hypocrites because you're, you're making everybody else try to obey the law, but each of you don't obey it yourself. But, but Paul, he, he was obedient. Saul, Paul was obedient. And he, he violently persecuted Christians because they weren't following the requirements of God. He would go around from house to house, and he'd drag people out of the house, Christians out of the house, and, and he'd drag them off to prison. And then one day, he's on the, on the road to the city of Damascus, and he's actually going to Damascus to hunt for more Christians. This is, 
He was a Christian hunter. And he's on the way to shut this movement down. And it's, re- it's, co- it's really cool. Like the, the movement had this name that was simply called The Way. He's on the way to Damascus when all of a sudden it says there's flashing lights from heaven. So uh, heaven's, you know, do you remember like heaven's not necessarily like high up in the sky, but all around. So all around him, flashing lights, and he falls to the ground. Um, and he hears a voice, and, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the, and the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It, like, this is a moment of revelation for Paul. Like, profound revelation. He thought things were, were a certain way. He was convinced that he was doing the right thing. He, you know, he was, he was, being, he was being obedient to the, to the law. He thought he was. And even with persecuting Christians, he thought that that was actually the right thing to do. And then the moment of truth, Jesus, the Lord says, by persecuting the church, you're actually persecuting me. And I reckon that Paul was cut to the heart. Like, like the crowd of people in Jerusalem. He was cut to the heart. His worldview shifted. He, he thought that Jesus was a sinful man. This man that claimed to be God. He, it's blasphemy, right? He thought that this man was sinful. He was evil. He deserved to die. And then he only to discover that Jesus is God. He only to discover that Jesus was a son of God, perfect and holy, not evil, who died because of the sin of humanity, not because of his own sin. Like a moment of clarity. It's an epiphany. Seeing things as they really are, not as we think they are or imagine they are. Seeing, seeing, thing from, uh, seeing things from God's perspective. For Paul, something like scales, it says, something like scales actually fell from his eyes. He came to believe in Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. He was um, uh, pickled as we were talking about a few weeks ago. He was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized and transformed. So going back to the crowds of people in Jerusalem, when they heard Peter explain what was going on, they were, they were cut to the heart. Like, it's this moment of revelation. I'm going, oh, no. What have we done? And they saw things as they actually were. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness. And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. He calls them to repent. He goes, Repent. Turn back. Uh, turn back to what? Turn back to God. Turn, turn towards life. And um, like I was saying, in a, in a moment of revelation, we see things as they actually are. That actually there is a there's a there's a holy transcendent God that like far above, beyond our our imagination, a holy God, and uh, and He holds all things together in His hands, and and God has a grand plan for for bringing all things together, for restoring things, for His good purposes. A God who loves His creation. It's a moment. 
uh, of revelation to discover that God loves his creation. He loves us as Imago Dei, as made in the image of God. Um, so that, that's sort of one, one aspect of revelation, is the revelation of who God is and, and who we are in, in relation to God, our maker. But the flip side of revelation involves like a realization of, of our own sin. Uh, our own, our own fa failing, failings and brokenness. So, like when Paul, Paul discovered in that moment of revelation that when he was persecuting the church, that he was persecuting Jesus. Like this is the part of the revelation. Uh, the people in Jerusalem, they discovered in that moment of revelation that they were actually complicit in the death and the murder of Jesus. And they go, cut, cut to the heart. They go, what can we do? What can we do, guys? And the solution is really simple. The solution is repent. Turn back to God. Return return to the arms of the Father. Return to the arms of your Creator, like we sang about this morning. But repentance, repentance is a call, it's a call to life. It's 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 a word that we we can we can connect repentance with a whole lot of negative stuff we can make it all about all about sin or all about our our brokenness but repentance is a call towards towards life towards freedom towards uh towards promise it's a it's a word that we should associate with hope uh partly it does it does involve recognition of our own failings but it doesn't end there repentance means means turning away from that stuff and Turning away from the things that are actually like holding us back, our, uh, our baggage, our, um, the bondage, and, and it means going towards a better way. It, it, sh it should be something that we, we connect with, um, with hope and with amazing things because repentance comes after revelation, right? And revelation comes from God. It can happen for it can happen as uh, it can happen as individuals as it did for Paul. He was just on his way to go and uh, arrest Christians and so on, and he had this revelation and he repented. It can happen that way, but it can also happen corporately, like the crowd in, uh, in Jerusalem, where three thousand of them decided um, that this was true. Repentance is something that comes uh, comes up in the Bible over and over. Joel, who I talked about before, 600 years earlier, he was calling the nation of Israel to the same thing. He's saying, return to the Lord. Before Jesus began his mission on earth, John the Baptist, uh, interesting fellow, and he's out by, the, out by the Jordan River, and he's eating locusts, and he's dressed in camel hair, and so people go out to hear, what it, what's this fellow on about? And, uh, and, and he'd say, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus, when he began his mission, Jesus, the Son of God, he said exactly the same thing. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, yesterday we went to have uh, lunch at Seashore Cabaret, which, oh, have you been Have you been there? I love that place. I've been there so many times. I mean, we live just up just up the hill, but Seashore Cabaret is one of our favourites, and it's a really it's a really popular place, especially on a Saturday. Um, here's a tip for you: don't even try to go to Petoni on a Saturday in the middle of the day. The traffic is horrendous. Anyways, back to Seashore Cabaret. 
really popular and the, and the lion was stretching, uh, stretching out, uh, down the stairs and out the door when we arrived. It moved pretty quickly though and so by about 25 minutes we were actually ne next in line to, to go and sit down. And I, and I was sitting there and I was, thinking, and I was standing there waiting and, and I thought, this is like the kingdom of God. <laughs> I could, I could see, I could see the food getting taken out to people. I could, I could right next to the kitchen. I could smell it. I knew what I was going to order. I'm quite predictable. I'm always going to go for the cheeseburger <laughs> every time. Basically, I see everything else in the menu, and I go, oh, this is my chance. I'm going to get the cheeseburger every time. And like, and like the sense of anticipation. Um, and this is like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is this is this close, like within within reach. Uh, and, it, and it's God's kingdom, so it, it, it encompasses everything uh, from judgment of evil, uh, judgment of evil and injustice, through to healing of sickness and brokenness, and, and so much more. It's, the kingdom of God is so great. The kingdom of God is dynamic, and it's on the move, it's, on the, it's advancing. Like this morning we sang... That Waymaker song where it goes, even when I can't see it, you're moving. Even when I can't feel it, you're moving. But the kingdom of God, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's Even when we can't see it, it's advancing. It's moving. And, it, and it's initiated, it was initiated by the king, by Jesus himself. And it's led by the king, uh, Jesus. And so, so what do we do? What do we do if we realize that the kingdom of God is at hand? Or is it near? Like, go to our table after 25 minutes of anticipation, which was a very, very long time. <laughs> there was one late, there was this woman behind, group behind us, and when they were told, they were initially told it was going to be a 15 minute wait, and when, when she was told that, she'd go, oh, I'm not waiting 15 minutes, and she turned around and walked out. <laughs> Only to come back when she realised uh, that it was 15, not 15. Oh. Anyway. Um, but what do you do? What do you do when you, when you, when, when I was next in line, I got ready. I got ready, and this is the obvious thing to do. Like you get ready, repent, and turn to the King. Like if the Kingdom of God is near, and and you know that the Kingdom of God is, it actually involves judgment of evil, then you're going to get ready. If the King's about to turn up, you're going to get ready. Um, and so, and so there's this always this connection: repent, because the Kingdom of God is at hand. It's the sense of now is the time. Revelation, it, it, can, it can lead to a major paradigm shift. It can lead to a major uh, change in the way we live and do things and think. And, and it can be, it, it can also be a, a course adjustment. Like it can be maybe a bit more subtle or a bit more, a bit more refined. It can be refocusing. It can be realignment, to go back to those words I was um, going on about a few weeks ago. But, but, but this is often the way. Like first, come, first comes revelation. Uh, of God, who He is, who we are, in the light of God, and then and then comes a moment of decision, a valley of decision. It's our decision: do we do we turn to God in, in repentance, like turning away from uh, whatever He's revealing to us, um, or or do we continue do we continue on the track that we're on? Right? Do we continue uh, walking away from God? When we repent, turning to God, this means. This means we're turning to, to the meaning of life. We're turning away from um, things that we've been holding on to, but turning to, turning to life means renewal. It, it means revival, in an individual sense. Being made new. 
And some of you, you might be listening and you're going, well, James, that's really interesting stuff. Um, you're making me hungry. You talk about donuts and cheeseburgers. Uh, and you're thinking, but I'm, al I'm already saved. I'm already saved. I've already given my life to Jesus. And so you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with me? And, and I'm, I'm, not suggesting, I'm not suggesting you're not saved or anything like that. But the early, follower, early followers of Jesus... They, they call themselves the way. The way. It's, it's not, a, not a destination, but it's a journey. Ah, oh, there's another thing you said we said this morning. Yeah, like redemption and the journey back to God. It's a journey. They're called the way. Ongoing obedience. On, like journeying with Jesus. And I reckon this is so awesome. This is so much better than arriving somewhere and thinking this is it. <laughs> because it means that, that we can... We can continue being renewed, we continue entering into, into newness with ongoing revelation of, of God, because God is infinite, so there's always going to be more, uh, ongoing revelation of, of ourselves and God, which uh, might bring to light things that we don't want to see, but ultimately it, it kind of like leads to a, a path of renewal of new life. It's so good. It's so, this is such good news. Um, Ongoing revelation and repentance and renewal. Repentance is a joy because it means God has revealed something to us and is leading us, leading us into, into new life. It's almost done that time. But I want to finish from this quite long quote from um, one of my heroes, Tim Keller. Uh, pray for him if you can. He, it turns out he, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer recently. So... He, he writes, Personal gospel renewal means the gospel doctrines of sin and grace are actually experienced, not just known intellectually. This personal renewal includes an awareness and conviction of one's own sin and alienation from God and comes from seeing, ourselves, seeing in ourselves deeper layers of self-justification, unbelief, and self-righteousness than we ever have seen before. Do you feel bad now? Yeah. <laughs> there is a new commensurate grasp of the wonder of forgiveness and grace as we shed these attitudes and practices and rest in Christ alone for salvation. Yeah. Corporate gospel renewal, what has sometimes been called revival, is a season in which whole body of believers experience personal gospel renewal together. I love that. I love that. I love that to happen for all of us. Me too. I'm praying for this, man, for, for myself. Like, God, bring, bring this stuff to life in me. And wouldn't it be fantastic if he brings this stuff to life for all of us as a, as a church? And not just Capital Vineyard Church, but what about the Church of Wellington? bringing us all to life, breathing his life on us. What about the church in Aotearoa? Can you imagine? Resting in God. Um, what about the church universal? Oh my goodness. This is what happened for the crowds that Peter spoke to on the day of Pentecost. There was a re revelation and awareness of the sin. Like 3,000 of them, that's a, that's, a, that's a corporate thing. Like This is revival. 
And then came repentance. They turned back to God and were saved. I'd love it if we could, but we can't make it happen. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that initiated the day of Pentecost. Um, but, but I think there's, there's things that we, we can do. The 120 people, they were waiting in the room. They were waiting in that, in that room. And, and we can position ourselves to metaphorically be in the room where God moves. I'm, just, I'm actually quoting from a song uh, from somebody. Um, we can be in the room and God moves. We can, we, can, uh, we can pray. We can be open to God. We can uh, read, can read and, and study the, the book, you know, the Bible. Study the scriptures. We can be ready to repent when you reveal stuff in our lives. And, and we can be ready to get back in, line, in alignment with God. Uh, eagerly anticipating fullness of, of life in God. Hmm. That's how that's how I think we can we can be in the room when when God moves. And you know, there's a there's a part of me, a big part of me, which thinks I reckon that is not far away. Someone's got to sweat at their parking. <laughs> I reckon it's not far away. Like this, it's time for oh, yeah. the, our, yeah, our generation, basically. Like, like all of us. I'm not talking about a certain age group. I'm not sort of talking about forty-two-year-olds. I'm talking about our generation. Let it come, Lord. Let it come, Lord. 